Amen. Well, it's baby dedications and it's Christmas and it's it's all about little ones and so I'm not going to change that today. It's, uh, every parent here this morning can testify to the dramatic change that takes place in their home and in their lives when a new baby arrives. Every parent can say amen. If it is baby number two or three or for some of your overachievers beyond that, then there's already something of an awareness of what is ahead. But if it is your first child, months of preparation, of book reading and advice receiving, whether desired or otherwise, and all your planning and all the things, this mental picture, if we're honest, if we're honest, we all say we're realistic, but many of us have this idea of the quiet, peaceful household with smiling parents and a sleeping child. But then when that child arrives, everything is turned upside down. Everything is turned upside down. There's feeding, there's changing, there's bathing, there's calming and soothing and trying to encourage sleep and all of those things take place at whatever o'clock they want to. And then, particularly if it's your first child, you know, it's amazing when you see people that have multiple children, the, the, all the nervousness with the first one, it just disappears. By the time they have four and five and six, oh, it'll be okay, it'll be fine. It's not on fire, the baby's fine. Everything's okay. But when it's your first child and you don't have a reference point, there are so many little things that happen. And if you're like most parents, you're asking questions like, is that normal? Are they okay? Should we go to the hospital? Why won't they sleep? Has it had enough food? Why are they crying? And obviously the baby can't answer those questions. And you don't really know the answers. And and then, then there is the first time you try to come to church. As in, who remembers the first time trying to bring a baby to church for the first time? Okay? How many nappies should we bring? How many outfits? How many bottles? How many wipes? How do you fold this pram up anyway? Is this car seat being put in properly or is it backwards? You know, so we, we take so much stuff sometimes that we're at risk of leaving the child behind. And then finally you get all of that stuff. You know, you used to go to church by picking up your Bible and getting in the car. Now there's all of these things. And Brother Steve knows exactly what I'm saying. Sister Lady know exactly what I'm talking about. And you manage it all and you get in the car and you look at your watch and you go, I think we're going to get to church on time. And then you should never say those words. Because the next question is, what was that noise? Is that what I think it is? What is that smell? And you're late because these things are unpredictable. And so for just a few minutes this morning, I want to preach about what a difference a child can make. What a difference a child can make. God has always been interested in children. He always has, right through the Word of God. And we believe very strongly that He wants us to be interested in children too. Last Sunday morning, we had a snapshot of the investment our children's ministry team puts into our young ones almost every weekend of the year. We saw the end of year program, which was wonderful, but week in, week out, those teachers and helpers and others are involved in trying to pour into the Word of God. We are emphatic in our statement that we do not just have, we do, it's not child-minding. We're ministering to children. We're wanting our children to learn the Word of God, to not just learn memory verses, but to have opportunity to experience His presence and and to pray for one another. Amen. 
But in the word of the Lord, it was not unusual for the Lord to declare the purpose of a child's life even before they were born. Back in Genesis chapter 25, and I had all these scriptures in a slide, but something went wacky, so I'm depending heavily on Sister Sophia this morning. But in Genesis 25 and 21, it says, And Isaac entreated the Lord for his wife, because she was barren. And the Lord was entreated of him, and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. And the children struggled together within her. And she said, If it be so, if this is a good thing, why is this going on? And she went to inquire of the Lord. And the Lord said unto her, Two nations are in thy womb, and two manner of people shall be separated from thy bowels. And the one people shall be stronger than the other people, and the elder shall serve the younger. Having twins was a big deal already. But Rebecca was having a glimpse, even during pregnancy, into what their future would hold. It's important we understand that when the Lord made these statements and he answered Rebecca's questions, it did not remove the choices that these twins would have in their life. They weren't predetermined to have to do certain things, but because God is God, he knew how the choices of their lives would unfold. When you read on in that chapter, we see there are two sons that are born. There is Esau and Jacob. And as the Lord declared, they would become the fathers of nations. Particularly in a biblical focus, Jacob would go on to have 12 sons from whom we would see become the 12 tribes of Israel. And as the narrative unfolds through the book of Genesis, Jacob's sons and their extended families would take refuge from a drought in the nation of Egypt via the younger brother Joseph. And that's a whole other story that as much as I love, I'm going to leave alone this morning. And as God blessed them, in Egypt they grew from being an extended family, possibly at best a tribe, to being a multitude of people. And the Pharaoh of the day was concerned with the possibility of a rebellion that might overthrow his leadership. And in a brutal attempt to squash such a notion, the Hebrews, as they had become known, were forced into slavery, being treated incredibly harshly under very severe conditions as they were forced to make bricks for the things that the Egyptians were building. And yet even in that incredible atmosphere, that difficult atmosphere, God blessed them and they continued to multiply. And then Pharaoh, recognizing that the slavery was not getting what he wanted, he implemented an extreme measure where he commanded the midwives of the Hebrews to murder any male infants that were born. And yet still God blessed and preserved his people. And in Exodus chapter 2 and verse 1, it says, There went a man of the house of Levi and took a wife of a daughter of Levi. The woman conceived and bare a son. And when she saw him that he was a goodly child, she hid him three months. That's not easy to do with a newborn. They generally don't cooperate when it comes to being quiet. And when the baby boy's mother could hide him no longer, if you know the story, they made a small ark. It was almost like a basket woven out of reeds and they, they waterproofed it and they placed that thing amongst the reeds at the edge of the river, I guess in some desperate attempt to try to hide that child and to see what would happen. That child was discovered by Pharaoh's daughter when she came down to bathe in the river. The boy would become Moses and God would use him some 80 years later to be the deliverer that would lead the Hebrews out of bondage. What a difference a child can make. 
What a difference a child can make. The prophet Jeremiah, in the first chapter of his book, was told that God had a plan for his life before he was even formed in his mother's womb. Again, it did not remove his choice, his own free will, but rather God knew God has this incredible ability to be past and present and future all at the same time. And so when he speaks about things, it's not that he is dictating and removing our choice, but he's already aware of where our choices will take us. And that's very difficult for our minds to comprehend because we are limited and he is not. But Jeremiah was told that before he was even formed, God had a plan for him. Even the psalmist David spoke of God's involvement from the very beginning of conception in Psalm 139, verse 14. It says, I will praise thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. You know, that applies to every one of us today. Every one of us is a miracle of creation. Even if you weren't planned, even if things didn't go as people wanted, God still fearfully and wonderfully made you. Amen. And and the psalmist said, Marvelous are thy works, and that my soul knoweth right well. My substance was not hid from thee when I was made in secret and curiously wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Thine eyes did see my substance, yet being unperfect, and in thy book all my members were written, which in continuance were fashioned when as yet there was none of them. So even while the development of the child in the womb was imperfect or still being completed, God was overseeing every step, every detail, every, pro, every process. I think it's, it's not in the slides, but I think it's in the book of Ecclesiastes where the Lord speaks and basically says, you have no idea how I form bones in the womb. You've got no idea how I do that. He's, I am the creator. I'm the one that does those things. And so we understand that in the sight of God, there was and is no debate about when a life is a life about when something is viable or unviable or when it becomes a person. God saw and continues to see every child as of equal value from the time when it is hidden, as the Scripture said, until the end of its life. Even Pharaoh understood that if he believed at least that if he could eliminate the child, he could control the future. That's the difference that a child can make. Centuries later, a wicked wicked ruler by the name of Herod would employ a similar tactic to try and prevent the rise of a new king. He was hearing rumors about a king that was supposed to be born, a king that the prophet Micah had said would be born in Bethlehem. And he got his smart people together and they worked out time frames and all that sort of thing. And so he decided that to eliminate this risk, he would have every male child two years old or younger, murdered. But again, God preserved the child that would become the deliverer. And when Jesus was born in a manger, angels and shepherds worshipped him. And wise men who came afterwards also worshipped him. The Savior was worshipped and acknowledged while still an infant. They did not come back for his 18th, or his 21st, or his 30th, this was probably the age of entering into the priesthood in the, in, under the law. But in his infancy, they worshipped him. And the Christmas carols and songs that we sing that are played in our shopping centers are all about the child that was born. And what a difference that child has made in our world. And then when Jesus 
grew up, became an adult, and entered into his ministry, he used children to illustrate a powerful concept to those that followed him. In Mark chapter 10 and verse 13, it says, And they brought young children to him that he should touch them, and his disciples rebuked those that brought them. They said, Jesus is too busy for kids. But when Jesus saw it, he was much displeased. He was angry with his disciples. Said unto them, Suffer the little children to come unto me. Forbid them not, for of such is the kingdom of God. Verily or truly, I say unto you that whosoever shall not receive the kingdom of God as a little child, he shall not enter therein. And he took them up in his arms, put his hands upon them, and blessed them. And again, in another place in Matthew chapter 18, verse 1 says, At the same time came the disciples unto Jesus, saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? What a question to ask God. And Jesus called a little child unto him and set him in the midst of them and said, Truly I say unto you, except you be converted and become as little children, you shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. Whosoever therefore shall humble himself as this little child, the same is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And I remember as a child myself growing up, uh, there always seemed to be Bible story books around, whether they were in our home or at the church in the Sunday school area of the church. And as a child, I would pretty well read anything I could get my hands on. I still have mental images of the pictures in those books of how Jesus was seated and children were gathered around him and, and his attention was turned toward them. There was love and compassion on his face. As, you know, this, kind, this story was pretty much always in the children's Bible books. There's some things in the Old Testament, they left those out deliberately. But these kind of stories were always in the Bible story books for kids. And we've often read these scriptures and interpreted what it means to be as a little child or to humble ourselves as a little child. And we, we look at that and we think, well, what are some of the qualities that children have that this could be referring to? And we think about things like simple faith. Children are uncomplicated. Children generally are willing to forgive quickly. Holding hurt and grudges tends to be something we develop later on, unfortunately. Children are usually, particularly when they're very small, without ambition. They don't desire power or prominence or domination of other people. Children generally are not too complicated. And children usually have a genuine sincerity. We have a way of making things more complicated as we get older. But all of these things are qualities that are valuable in our approach to God. But perhaps this morning there's another level to what Jesus was trying to communicate when he said, except you become as a little child. In John chapter 3 and verse 1, Scripture says there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night and sent him, Rabbi or Master or Teacher, we know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest, except God be with him. He was close. Didn't God be with him, but God was him. Bad grammar, sorry. Verse 3, Jesus answered and said unto him, Truly, truly, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus saith unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. 
that which is born of the Spirit is Spirit. Marvel not that I said unto thee, you must be born again. So no, Nicodemus, person cannot be born a second time physically. It seems to us a strange question, but the idea of being born again was a strange concept at the time. But Jesus came, as the song says, that we might have life. And that life requires a new birth. It requires a new beginning. It requires being born again. And the wonderful thing about the gospel is that regardless of our age or our circumstances, Jesus would have all of us to know that we can, in fact, be born again. That he was born that we might live. And then when we are born again, our lives are never the same. Addictions can be broken. Relationships can be healed and restored. Families can be made whole. The emptiness that can be within human hearts can be filled with the Spirit of God. We can know His love, His peace, and His joy that are so often things that are sung about at Christmas time. But it takes more than just the birth of a child in a manger to bring love, peace, and joy. There has to be the follow-on of us also being born again. And then when we are born again, the scripture tells us that we become the demonstration of God's love to this world, that others ought to see the change that Jesus has made in our lives. What a difference a child can make, that when we become his children, there is a difference that he wants us to be able to make. Now, we are not little children physically again, like the cute picture that we had on the slide But we are now the children of God. And He desires to be our Father. He desires to care for us, to provide for us, to lead and to guide us. It's not an accident that the Scripture tells us that when we receive the Holy Ghost, and we're in a Pentecostal church this morning, when we receive the Holy Ghost, there is something that moves inside of us that cries out, to our Heavenly Father. That is not just random commentary, but it is specifically there in the Word of God. In Romans chapter 8 and verse 15, it says, For you have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And as some of us understand today, Abba is the equivalent of Papa or Daddy, it is not a description or a statement of position, but of relationship. It is not talking about authority or a figurehead, but it is talking about somebody that we know and are known by. That is what that is talking about. And there is no better way to know God and be known by God than to be filled with His Spirit. To be filled with the Holy Ghost is the ultimate way to be able to say, He is my Heavenly Father. It is in this experience that we truly become as a little child. All those other things are great. I think like kids, we should be quick to forgive. We should be sincere. We should be all those other qualities. But I think there's more to that than just the qualities that little children have. It is when we surrender ourselves to the Word of God. It is when we say, not my will but thine be done, Lord. When my pride doesn't get in the way anymore and I say, Lord, I want what it is that you've promised, we become as a little child. And he is able to bring new life. Amen. As he makes a difference in us, we can be the child that also makes a difference in this world. 
Amen. It is, it's Christmas Eve. It's the 24th of December. And so along with the world, we pause to celebrate the birth of Jesus. But we do not come to a manger to worship a child. The song, one of the songs we sang this morning said that there was hope in the manger for you and for me. That's what it's all about. The difference that that child made was so that we could be made different as his children as well. We come together to worship the King of Kings. What a difference a child can make. Why don't you stand with me this morning? Let's just lift our hands and worship the Lord and thank Him that He came. But not just that He came, but He's given us the opportunity to be His sons and His daughters today. Lord, we worship You. We worship You today. We thank You.